This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really. And the best part is anyone can take advantage of GMC's platform by signing up for consignment services. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com consignment and start moving your cards with Greg Morris today. What's up, everyone? This is episode 249 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my ex account is at Wax Museum PC. Okay, so Monday night, the Pacers hosted the first ever quarterfinal game of the NBA's in season tournament against the Celtics. And if you saw that one, you know they had the special court and the special jerseys and all the seats had gold towels on them. It probably didn't mean much for a franchise like the Celtics. I know I saw someone on Twitter remark that they don't hang in-season tournament banners. All right, I get it. But for a team like the Pacers, it was kind of a big deal. And heading into the game, another Pacers fan reached out to me and asked uh, when the last big game for the franchise was. And I had to think about it for a moment because they haven't won a playoff series since 2014. They got swept in the first round in 2019 and 2020. Uh, One year they won a play-in game, but that wasn't very exciting. And finally I realized, as silly as it sounds, it's probably the biggest playoff environment game for the franchise since they took a LeBron-led Cavs to Game 7 in the 2018 playoffs. And sad fact incoming here, Game six of that series is the Pacers' most recent postseason victory. That was 2018 once again. So, like I said earlier, yeah, it's kind of a regular season game, but at the same time, this in-season tournament thing is kind of a big deal. And it ended up being a very back-and-forth game. I was a little worried because the Celtics really controlled the pace most of the way through. That meant the Pacers had to play defense. And if you've watched them much this year, you know that's not likely to happen. But they did it. And they went on a nice little run late in the game, and Halliburton notched his first career triple-double, all while not committing a single turnover. And the Pacers ultimately won 122-112. to Don't let that final score fool you. There were a bunch of fouls at the end of the game, and and Buddy Heald hit a three-pointer at the buzzer. So, but they won, 122-112. to And that means the Pacers will play their next game in Vegas. And I think it's a weird time, like 5 p.m. Thursday evening. So by the time you're listening to this, there's a good chance it's already happened. But I had to lead off by talking about this one today because a lot of you messaged me. You know I'm excited. And it just feels great to see things finally moving in a better direction. And, you know, I'm sure it will affect portions of my collection at some point as well. Maybe not that specific game but at least the trajectory that this team is on. All right, well, I've got another packed episode for you today. This week's a solo episode, but that's because I've been very busy in the hobby lately. In just a moment, I'm going to talk about another Pacers game from this past week, but this was one that I went to in Miami. There'll be some autograph talk in there as well. 
After that, I've got a handful of cards I want to talk about from this week's mail, the first of which will be part of a regular mail segment, and then the rest will be part of today's main segment, where I talk about a pair of offers I simply couldn't refuse. So you'll want to make sure to stay tuned for that. Okay, so if you follow me on social media, there's a good chance you saw me posting about a Pacers game in Miami I went to this past week. If you're thinking to yourself, didn't he just talk about a trip to a Pacers game? The answer is yes, but that was more of an impromptu trip to Atlanta. This trip to Miami was something for my birthday, and it's been planned for a while now. So anyway, Mrs. Wax Museum and I hopped in the car on Saturday morning and made the four-hour drive there. About the time I got there, I started getting messages from friends that knew I was going, telling me they were sorry about the Tyrese news. And that's when I saw the tweet from Woj that Tyrese Halliburton was out for the game, which was a bummer, but not the first time that's happened. I think he missed one of the Orlando games I went to last year, too. That made me even more thankful I made the trip to Atlanta, and I saw that 26-point third quarter that he had because... At least I saw, you know, one great Tyrese performance from this year already. Regardless, that kind of changed my outlook on the game because the Heat had already beaten the Pacers on Thursday night. This game was a Saturday, right? So they'd already beaten the Pacers on Thursday. And without him, things can get pretty rough. He missed a game against the Celtics earlier this year. And at one point in that game, they were down 50. That's not an exaggeration. They literally lost the game by 51 points. So obviously I was hoping this wouldn't happen here. And you might recall when I talked about my Miami game last season, I had made a custom Andrew Nimhard Timeless Moments card of him hitting a game-winning shot over LeBron James. I was hoping to get one of those signed, and obviously I wanted other autographs as well. But when we got to the arena on that last trip, I asked about autographs, and the usher in the section just flat out told me, we don't do that here. Like, she even seemed confused about it. Like, no one had approached her about it before. So this time around, I bought tickets six rows behind the Pacers bench, which was a section over from where the players entered and exited the floor area. It didn't mean I was guaranteed to get any autos, but it at least meant I had a shot. So we go down there, and lo and behold, it's the same lady from the year before who pretty much shut those efforts down then. And I saw Andrew warming up on the floor, so I kind of moved toward that section slowly, but didn't make any sort of a scene. You know, I wanted to be cool about it. And right as he was walking off the floor, an usher came up to us to ask uh, or to talk about our tickets, which we had tickets for that section, so that was fine. And I realized I wasn't going to have time to explain my situation to them and get Nimhard's autograph. So I just kind of said, hey, I've got something to give to him. And I made a quick move that way. Well, Mrs. Wax Museum stayed behind to do damage control. So Andrew signed for me. And I offered a copy to him in the process. I know players probably get stuff gifted to them all the time, but he indicated he wanted one. He seemed genuinely appreciative of it. So, uh, you know, I was happy about that. And I went back to where Mrs. Wax Museum was at. I showed the signed card to the ushers. I kind of explained to them in a little more detail, told them, hey, I made this. And they seemed happy for me. So better yet, they didn't tell us to move away from this spot. So that was good from this point on. So I kind of surveyed the floor to see who else was out there because I wasn't sure, even though they hadn't told us to move yet, I I didn't know, you know, am I going to be pushing my luck here if I try for someone else? So I surveyed the floor just to see what what all was out there, who all was out there. Sometimes you just have to pick one player, get your items signed, and ask for forgiveness after the fact. And seeing as Tyrese wasn't at the game, I figured 
well, Benedict Matherin's out there. There weren't too many guys out there. That seems like the next logical choice. So as we were waiting for Ben to finish warming up, I noticed that Rick Carlisle was talking to one of the radio announcers several rows directly below us. And when he finished up, I asked for a quick picture, and he obliged. Um, and he has no idea how much that meant to me. Rick has been with the team on and off since 1997, first as an assistant for Larry Bird, then as head coach in 2003, and now back with us again after stints in Detroit and Dallas. You might remember, and I know it's been a while, but I had an episode where I played a clip of me calling into his radio show when I was probably 16 or 17 years old. Yeah, it's hard for me to believe now. That was almost 20 years ago. So the ushers could have moved us from this area at this point, and I would have been okay with that. But the main usher came up to me and she said, you know, you really hit the jackpot tonight which I think I, I felt a little better about everything after that. I guess that meant I was good to stay. So then Matherin came over. I got a Prism Cracked Ice rookie signed. It was one that Jake Roy had given me at the National. So thanks again, Jake. Um, I, I was the only one there, so Ben signed using my blue Sharpie, and I think it turned out great. After that, I got Obi Toppin as well. I had a Prism Silver rookie for him. And the only other player I attempted after that was Bruce Brown, who I had an Optic Hollow for, and I asked him if he could sign. He stopped. He looked at the card and shook his head no. So maybe he doesn't sign Piston stuff. I have no clue. I thought it was a little weird, but I don't, I don't read too much into that stuff. You know, just because I buy a ticket to a game doesn't mean I'm entitled to anything else. So it's all just a bonus once you head in the doors and, and you make your way inside. And luckily, we were treated to a great game. Early on, it, it felt like a half-court offense wasn't going to work for the Pacers and the deficit was just going to linger around 10 or 15, but the team tied things up at halftime. They continued that momentum into the third quarter, and even though Jimmy Butler got his points, Obi Toppin ended up doing a pretty good job defending him, and part of it is just he has length, and some of the other Pacers don't have that, but Obi Toppin doing a good job defending Jimmy Butler. That's something I never thought I would be saying, and somehow, even without Tyrese Halliburton, this team ended up scoring over 140 points. 144 to be exact. If you look at the box score, there were six different Pacers that scored over 15. I mentioned Bruce Brown earlier. He ended the night with 30, which was surprising to me because even though he was their big free agent signing of the summer, he's never been much of a scorer. And I didn't realize it until Alex Connell Collection messaged me after the game, but he said the Heat announcers mentioned it was the highest percentage a team has ever shot against the Heat. I knew a lot of shots were going in. I didn't realize it was nearly. 66%. So, you know, I saw that high-scoring game in Atlanta, saw this game now in Miami, and all in all, it was a great trip. I got some stuff signed I had been wanting to get signed. We watched a great game that ended with a Pacers win, and we hung out for an extra day, so Mrs. Wax Museum had a good time as well. Okay, on to the mail. Well, the first part of it, at least. So last week I bid on and won a 2013-2014 Panini Knights of the Round insert of Paul George, and, and more on the card in a little bit here, but I've kind of got to give you more of the context first, because this is all part of my effort to try and catch up on a lot of the inserts and parallels I missed from Panini's uh, what I'll call glory years, mainly that time frame between 2012 and 2015. Now, I was actively collecting during these years, but I was so laser-focused on patches that I could never really appreciate anything quite as much as I should. And, and I've talked about this before. This is no you know nothing new here. 
But that's a shame, though, because the Pacers were really good during this time frame, too. There are plenty of nice cards to be had, especially for a guy on the level of Paul George. So anyway, I've really leaned on guys like Evan, Geach Quest cards, and Will, Prolific Sports cards, to help steer me towards cards I might want to consider. You might remember Evan has his list of uh, top 20 Panini era inserts. He's posted it on the Blowout forums. He's come on here to talk about it a little bit as well. And then Will, on the other hand, has been really helpful in this pursuit because he's kind of already gone down the same road with Carmelo Anthony. And a lot of the stuff Carmelo has, Paul George has as well. One such example is this Knights of the Round set. And I remember Evan mentioning Knights of the Round, and I know I've seen Will post about it too. This is a die-cut insert that started with the Panini product in 2012 and 2013, And when I say Panini product, for those of you that maybe didn't collect in, this was a low-end set that was just called Panini, kind of similar to how Topps has a set called Topps. So the first two years, this die-cut set was just in Panini. Then in 2014, it got a bit of a makeover, and it moved to Excalibur, where it remained until the last year of the set in 2015. And I've read in different places that these are case hits. That definitely seems to be the case with the ones from earlier on, They all seem pretty tough to me, but I can't confirm anything though. So just take all of that with a grain of salt. I I cannot confirm that those are case hits. So anyway, quite a while back, I created an eBay save search called Paul George Knights Round. They didn't come up often, and I figured this should catch any and all PG versions that existed, which it turns out is only 2013 and 2015. I mentioned Carmelo Anthony earlier. He's in every version. So Like I said at the top, the 2013 version finally showed up. I decided to make a run at it, and ultimately I won. And you know, I should have opened this on camera so you could see just how unimpressed I was with this thing once it was in hand. And I usually do open my mail on camera, but the timing didn't work out for this one, or I didn't have enough pieces, or I was impatient. So anyway, I opened it, and not impressed. It it just didn't feel like that special of a card to me. Like, you know, think about some of the other case hits. When you put a Galactic under the light, or when you hold one of the stained glass inserts I talked about last week, those look and feel special and different. The 2013 Knights of the Round is a die cut. It's a giant cutout of the Panini Knight, but it is a die cut, so I'll give it that. Otherwise, there's nothing different about it. The cardstock seems kind of thin and flimsy. The surface is similar to a normal base card from that 2013 Panini set. I'll be honest with you, I don't know what exactly I was expecting, but all I know is that this wasn't it. And you know what? Actually, I take that back. I do know what I was expecting, and now I know I was foolish in thinking this way. I'd seen the 2015 version online before from Excalibur, completely different product. It has more of a foil finish with a pattern in the background. Those look awesome. And like I said earlier, Paul George is in that set. But that's not the one that showed up first. The first one to hit my save search was the 2013. And I could tell from the eBay picture that visually it wasn't going to be anything close to the 2015. But I guess I just hoped it would seem a little nicer in hand nonetheless because it was a case hit, uh, but it didn't. So I took an L here and that is 100% on me. I'm not blaming the people that inspired the Knights of the Round search. I, I know I mentioned Evan and Will earlier. They've both been a huge help for me. In fact, neither one of them even steered me toward the 2013 version. That's something I just kind of went after on my own. And I'm usually very intentional about what I'm buying. And really, I feel like I was here too, to an extent. 
but it just didn't work out quite like I'd hoped for. And I always tell you guys about all the good stuff. So I figure for a change, there's value for you guys in hearing about some of the not so good stuff that I end up with as well. So for now, I put it in my Panini binder. It will probably stay there as a sort of time capsule of that era. Maybe even a reminder that, hey, uh, I need to look at things a little closer before I buy them. I was talking to Will about his 2013 after the fact. He told me he got his Carmelo for $11. This one cost me about four times that. So if I can move it in that range at some point in the future, I'll probably consider that as well. Uh, But who knows? All right, before I move into today's main segment, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by ComC.com. Your home for buying, selling, flipping, and grading now, too. From now until December 31st, ComC is offering $2 off all PSA value and CGC bulk subs. Or maybe you've got some graded stuff in your inventory already. Feel free to take advantage of their no minimum auction event. For more information about either of these promos, head on over to ComC.com today. Okay, and then real quick, some of you have asked me for ways you can help support this show. The easiest way is my eBay affiliate link. And using this link costs you absolutely nothing, just an extra 30 seconds or so of your time, but it helps support the show. To access this link, simply go to waxmuseumpodcast.com, click the eBay logo, shop as planned, so whatever you're going to buy anyway, just click my link first, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hi, this is Alan Siegel, the designer of the NBA logo. And now you're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so the other two packages I received this week, the timing is pretty funny because both of these packages had a similar theme. The cards involved were part of offers that I simply couldn't refuse. And while I was on the receiving end of these offers this time around, I want to preface this whole segment by saying there have also been plenty of times where I think I've been on the other side of things where I'm the one offering up the amazing cards or the extra amount of cash in order to secure something I really want. So this is not to gloat. In fact, I think all parties involved here were very happy in both of these examples. Instead, I just want to share a couple of interesting situations I encountered so you can see, one, how I responded, and two, how they all played out. And maybe this information will benefit you somewhere down the road as well. Okay, so some of you that follow my YouTube channel might have seen a three-part series I wrapped up recently where I showed off cards in my Hall of Fame box. And at the beginning of each video, I made it clear that this was not any sort of effort to move these cards. It was literally just me going through a box of cards in my PC and sharing a little info about each one. And truth be told, it was a lot easier than some of the other content I've been piecing together, and people seem to enjoy it a lot more too. So... About a week or so after the first video came out, I got an Instagram DM from someone I had bought cards off of years ago. He's actually a Jeff Foster collector. I know I've had several people ask me over the years if I think I have the best Jeff Foster collection. And while I don't like to treat it as a competition, I, I mean, I'm happy with what I have. I will concede that I, I, you know, I always think that there's one collection that I know of out there that's better, and, and it, it's this guy right here. So anyway... He sent me a DM about a George Gervin card he saw in the video that he was interested in adding to his collection. It was a nameplate patch from 2019 Leaf in the game U Sports, and it was the letter G. 
This is a card I purchased roughly four years ago for my collection. What originally drew me to this card was the fact that George Gervin doesn't have a lot of relics out there. And as far as I know, this is the only true nameplate set he's ever been in because Panini never made one. And then to top it off, I thought it was nice to have the first letter of his last name too. Now, coincidentally, I had just seen another letter from this set, the letter V, for sale on my Twitter feed like two or three days before. So when I got this message, I, I'm just thinking, you know what? I hate to break the bad news to this guy that, that my letter's not for sale, but at the same time, I can just point him to this letter V and maybe we'll both be happy as the end result. But apparently that letter wasn't available anymore because the person that I was messaging now had just purchased it. And then he also let me know that he had the E, the R, the I, and the N, meaning he had every letter in that nameplate except for the G I owned. And that's the one that he was now inquiring about. I know some of you are, are hearing that and thinking to yourself, well, you know, Kyle's got to trade him the G now because the guy has all the other letters. And I understand the thinking behind that, but I've been burned on these uh, types of situations in the past enough that, you know, I don't feel pressured into these kind of deals anymore unless it's someone I know really well. doesn't mean I won't consider it, but I, I just don't feel like I absolutely have to trade that card away. So anyway, this person, he did show me some Jeff Foster cards I liked featuring a laundry tag number to five and three different printing plates, but I wasn't sure I wanted to move the Gervin letter for those cards. And I didn't want to drag this out and give him false hope or anything like that. So I made sure I was very uh, direct with my messaging. I said, I never really meant to give the Gervin up, so it's going to take quite a bit. I'll also need a nice Gervin in return because I moved one of mine when I bought that letter. So even though I had originally said I didn't mean to move it, that's not my intentions. I did say, look, you know, if, if there were a situation for me to move it, it would basically, I said, yeah, it's going to take a lot. And for the record, that individual that I was dealing with, he didn't push me. You know, he even said, look, I totally understand if you don't want to move the letter. And then he sent me a picture of a George Gervin card that really got my attention. It was a 2007-2008 Upper Deck Limited, uh, Exquisite Limited Logos Patch Auto, numbered to 50. And, you know, like I said, it got my attention. And while I loved the card, my first thought was, okay, this is about to get very complicated because I didn't think the values matched up and it, it, you know, I wasn't trying to get into this deal in the first place and then like, all right, well then would I be adding stuff or would he be taking stuff out or, you know, what all's going to happen here? And I even showed him a comp for the Gervin to, to sort of acknowledge that, Hey, like, I know this is a really nice card. I'm not going to try to, to downplay it or pretend like it's not. So before trying to even piece an offer together, I simply ask him, what do you think is fair for the letter G. Just kind of put the ball in his court. You know, if you really want to make this deal, I'll let you throw out an offer. What do you think's fair? And much to my surprise, he replied, Gervin Exquisite, Foster Tag, and Three Plates. Would that work? And I said, yeah, that works for me easy enough. And that was that. And uh, because I dealt with him years ago, I felt fine about shipping the card out and all that stuff. I know, you know, they say if a deal seems too good to be true, it it probably is. Well, I felt okay about this person. We, we didn't have to worry about vouchers or anything like that. So to summarize here, the conversation started with a PC card I didn't want to let go of, and it ultimately ended with an offer I couldn't refuse. And I should add that the other person in the trade was able to finish out 
one of his big hobby projects as well. And I, I think that's worth noting. And uh, I'm looking forward to him sending me that picture of that completed nameplate. Um, now, whenever I exchange a card in a situation like this, where it's something I, I didn't really want to let go of, I kind of do so with the understanding that the card's never coming back. Like in this instance, that nameplate, like I just said, I, I'm looking forward to seeing the picture because it's going to be complete. I'll probably never have a shot at it again. And that's okay because I'm never going to go through with a deal unless I come to peace with that first. But there are rare times where those cards do become available again. I think Brett called these boomerang cards on a recent episode of Stacking Slabs, and that was the case with a card I received in my second package this week. It was a 1999 SP Top Prospects Upper Class Die Cut Parallel of Ron Artest number 12 out of 50. And this was a card I originally purchased off eBay probably around 2004. And I tried to find the invoice for it, but that was, I mean, that's back when I was in my teens and I think I was using my mom's PayPal and my mom was, and I were sharing an eBay account. So I, I can't even find that email anymore. But, um, I, you know, it couldn't have been more than 10 or $15 at the time, knowing my budget and, and knowing what I spent on PC cards. And really it, it stayed in that 10 to $15 range for years. In fact, it survived my original Artest purge around 2010 simply because it wasn't worth selling, in my opinion. And since then, I'm, I'm glad that I, you know, it didn't go anywhere because it took on a new significance for me because it was one of those cards that was part of my original Artest PC, and I've got a number of those. Well, March of 2022 rolled around, and once again, I got a message from someone I had dealt with a handful of years before, not the same person. Okay, not the person I dealt with with the Gervin here, different person. But it turns out this person that I had dealt with and, and talked with some, he was collecting these late 90s college parallels. And uh, he knew that I had our test stuff and he just kind of took a shot at and said, hey, do you have the Artest from this set? I said, yes, I do. But it was a similar situation where I told him, hey, I, you know, I've got it, but I'm not looking to move it. And I mentioned, I even told him, hey, this is part of my original Artest PC. He said, well, you know what, I'm, these don't show up often anymore, someone else is wanting them, I'm impatient, I want to finish this set, is there anything that you would trade for it? And I gave him an example of a really rare Artest I was looking for. That, that's kind of my solution whenever I've got a card I don't want to get rid of, I'll throw out like a, a really impossible card, right? Like I have a Super Fractor uh, from 2004 Topps Chrome that, that a, a number of people have asked about, so I'll just say, hey... Find me a Pacer Superfractor from 2004 Topps Chrome, and maybe we can make that happen. Well, you know, obviously they, they don't ever find that. So um, that wasn't going to work. So then he inquired about buying it outright. And I really didn't have a number because, once again, I'm, I was not looking to move this. So we did this song and dance for a little bit, and he assured me that he would offer strong. So I finally budged, and, and I said, well, how strong is strong? And he said... Would $100 get it done? Well, similar to the to the uh, Gervin Limited logos, that offer got my attention. And I got to thinking about it. it you know, this wasn't a Pacers Artest card. It was a St. John's card. There were 50 copies out there. So essentially, I could find one of the other 49 if I really wanted one. And then, you know, if this hadn't been in my original collection, it, it wouldn't be worth more than probably $10 to me anyway. So long story short, it was an offer I couldn't refuse. I decided to do the deal, and I made peace with the fact that I'd probably never own the card again. 
Fast forward then to late November of 2023. So this is a little over a year and a half later. I got a message from a friend on Instagram and he likes to send me different Pacers listings, which I appreciate. So he sent me this, our test card, which was listed from one of the big consigners. And it was one of these SP die cut cards. And I messaged them back and I said, you, you won't believe this, but I sold one of those for $100 during the pandemic. And I put it on my watch list and I figured I'd keep an eye on it. A few days passed and I got to thinking, you know, what are the odds that that's, this is the exact same copy? Surely, you know, that person wouldn't have gotten rid of that card already. Well, and I looked and, and sure enough, uh, it was. It was the exact same copy. So this went from a card I probably wasn't going to bid on to one that I decided I wanted pretty bad. I even messaged Al, the New York City hoops collector, um, and I explained to him why I was bidding on this card. You might remember he's an Artest collector as well. Any other copy of that card, I really don't care about. The 12 out of 50, I gotta have it, because that's the exact one I used to own that I thought was gone for good. So then it came time to figure out how much I was going to bid on this thing. And in my mind, it was still no more than a $20 card. And I expected to win it in that range. But I also knew I had sold it for $100 before. So anything below that, and I still kind of came out ahead. I didn't want to go crazy for this though. So I bid in the $50 range. And I ended up winning it for like $42 shipped, which was a lot higher than I expected. But I essentially leased the card out for a year and a half for, you know, 40 or 50 bucks. I thought that was kind of funny. So in a weird way, this card's journey had a lot more value to me now than the card itself. But I've got it. And that's the story of two different offers I couldn't refuse and the cards associated with them that ended up in my mailbox at some point throughout the week. All right, well, there you have it. Maybe you guys have let go of a card you really liked because the offer was too good to pass up on. Or maybe you've got a similar story with one of these boomerang cards. Feel free to reach out to me on social media and tell me about it. You can find me on Instagram under at Wax Museum Podcast or X under the handle at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the website for my affiliate links. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>